sidelined by COVID. The Canucks' growing outbreak and what it means for their season. Ready and anxious to roll up their sleeves. Wait a minute, uh, what happened to 65 plus here? The age group left hanging in BC's vaccination rollout and defying public health orders. I'm standing up and saying enough is enough. The Vancouver restaurateur refusing to back down. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. The news just keeps getting worse for the Vancouver Canucks. On Wednesday, we found out two players and a member of the coaching staff tested positive for COVID-19. Well, tonight, that list is a lot longer. Barry DeLay joins us with more on this bad news for the Canucks. Barry? Yeah, it's gone from uh, three to eight, Sophie, and the NHL uh, did release the names of the uh, five additional players who are on that list. And we'll take a look at that now. It's uh, some talented guys on that list. Quinn Hughes, Alex Edler, who is uh, the oldest player on that list at 34, Braden Holtby and Zach McEwen. And a couple of the uh, supporting cast as well. Antoine Roussel, of course, Gaudette and Hamannick we knew about earlier this week. And the coaching staff member in silhouette. They have not announced who that is. And uh, they do announce the players. For some reason, the coaching staff, they do not. But what we do know for sure is that uh, the Canucks uh, have a lot of questions. We ask what is next. The NHL's already said they're not going to play again until at least Thursday against the Flames, but precedent tells us when there's this many players who uh, have positive tests on the team, it's going to be a lot longer. Mm -hmm. Three situations have happened this year. In Dallas, in training camp, the Stars shut down for a week in training camp, and then the first week of their season, and then in February, both New Jersey and Buffalo both shut down for two weeks as well when they had multiples, so perhaps safe for us to assume that the Canucks probably are going to get an extra week. So they had one week off during their schedule break, and now it looks like it's going to be two weeks off, so three weeks in general, and they're going to lose mm -hmm. eight games in that span, Sophie, that they're going to have to make up over the final four weeks of the schedule. Well, hopefully we'll hear something more official from the team and from the league uh, uh, soon. I, and I don't know that we've had any sort of like official statement yet on what's mm -hmm. going to happen in the days to come. But even beyond um, the next couple of weeks, Barry, we've seen in a lot of COVID patients that there can be long-term effects and there's concern for high-level athletes. We, we talked about it on the sports last mm -hmm. night with the Raptors. Yeah, you, you can't overlook the, overlook the human aspect of all this. These, there's players who have COVID and as we know, no one knows how you're going to be affected by that. A lot of people, a lot of young, healthy people, uh, they seem to get over it quite well with no ill effects, but we certainly don't know all about that. So uh, that's another part. And so these players are going to be dealing with that. They're going to be back in isolation, which is a bit of a psychological terror for these guys who are in isolation for two weeks before the season, the bubble last year and now again. So uh, just lots of bad news for the Canucks. We'll hear from them in the NHL, likely they said early next week. Okay, we'll see how this story develops. Thanks for that, Barry. We'll talk to you again a little bit later in sports. Now, echoes of spring break as warnings from health officials to avoid non-essential travel this Easter long weekend appear to be falling on a lot of deaf ears. As Kylie Stanton reports, there has been no shortage of people going places, even as popular getaway destinations urge them to stay away. 
boats come and go, but the passengers are here to stay, at least for a little while. We're going to Victoria for the weekend. Meet up with some friends. From Tawasin to Sports Bay, foot and vehicle traffic started picking up early, with reservations selling out fast. Reunions upon arrival, complete with hugs and kisses. This despite repeated warnings from health officials to stay home. This is not the time for any of us to be traveling for leisure or vacation or getaways. The Tleokwiat First Nation doubling down on that message, putting out this press release, saying we are not welcoming guests at this time. In fact, it says some members of the region have taken it upon themselves to inform travelers at Sutton Pass and turn inbound traffic around. If COVID-19 were to impact that small community, it would have a devastating impact. So I'm really encouraging everybody to please stay put, stay home, uh, stay in your own communities. But judging from the influx of traffic here, that's just not happening. Frustrating residents who call Tofino and Euclid home. We are a very small town of 2,000 people. It's been very, very clear for the last 12 months what we are supposed to do and not do. And uh, we just, again, ask people to follow the public health orders. Island Health confirmed Thursday all three variants of concern have now been identified on the island, stating the number of presumptive variant cases within Island Health being sent to the BC CDC for confirmatory testing has more than tripled in recent days. Whether those numbers will continue to rise in the days and weeks to come remains to be seen. What we do know is the virus goes where we go. And right now, there appears to be a whole lot of movement. Kylie Stanton, Global News. A warning from Interior Health tonight. IHA officials are advising any guests, staff and residents who attended what they are calling any congregate events at Big White over the past week to monitor themselves for symptoms related to COVID-19. A letter issued to the resort today specifically mentions an event on March 29th. That was Monday, and that was when these images of a wild party at Charlie Victoria's located at the resort went viral. Officials say anybody who was there should self-monitor for symptoms, adding they have put themselves at risk of contracting COVID-19. The virus is increasing across the interior, including at Big White. The resort's senior vice president, Michael Ballingal, called the gathering disgusting and embarrassing. Well, with the scramble to get vaccinated made all the more confusing by the sudden eligibility of 55 to 65-year-olds this week, there is one group feeling a little lost in the shuffle. Richard Zussman joins us from Victoria with an update from people in the age 65 to 71 bracket. And Richard, those are people who are starting to feel a little bit like the lost generation. Yeah, they sure are, Sophie, and they are filling up my email inbox. It is a group I have heard more from than anyone else for the duration of this pandemic, and they are just wondering one big question. When will they be able to register to get their COVID-19 vaccine? They are in vaccination no man's land. British Columbians age 65 to 71. You just go ahead and you check every morning to see if there's been any change and. uh uh, if there's something new come along. Originally, the province's general public age-based vaccination registration was moving fast. First those over 90, then those over 80, and then just over the last week, those 73 to 79 years old, all eligible to register. And then the updates stopped and frustration grew. 
were going down on blocks of, say, two years, and all of a sudden we kind of got stalled. The group born in 1949, 72-plus, learned on Thursday they could now register. The cause for the slowdown, complicated and multifaceted. First, it's volume. As we move down every single year, the number of people or the cohort gets larger. And then it's vaccine supply. This group will be immunized with Pfizer or Moderna. Last week, the province told 161,460 doses of Pfizer would arrive. And all of it did. It was also told 112,400 doses of Moderna would come. And only 34,000 did. When delivery is delayed, this is an extraordinary challenge. I think it's a real tribute to our teams that those changes have been dealt with uh, seamlessly in a way that, that uh, is obviously very challenging to deal with. The province also decided to start registering the clinically extremely vulnerable, no matter the age. I note that that hasn't moved as quickly this week because we also added this week 150,000 people or in the broader cohort who will, who will have received letters or will eventually receive letters who are clinically extremely vulnerable. And then there's the AstraZeneca rollout. Those 65 to 71 skipped over in Metro Vancouver, where it was offered to those 55 to 64 instead. We wanted to target the population that was not likely to be in the age group within the next few weeks. So that's uh, the rationale that I used, we used to make the decision about uh, where we put the 18,000 doses of the AstraZeneca. So it wasn't in any way um, to, to slight those in the uh, 65 to, to 72 age group. All right, Richard, this is a large part of the population, hundreds of thousands of people in this demographic. When might they be able to book their appointments? It sounds like good news is coming, Sophie, and it's all about vaccine supplies. So we know that there's expected to be a lot coming over the next week in British Columbia. The Pfizer vaccine, 138,000 some odd doses. Moderna, a new supply of 111,000 some odd doses. And the 72,000 doses that didn't arrive last week are expected to arrive tomorrow. All told, that's more than 320,000 new doses. And so next week, when the province goes to an online registration system for vaccine, many in this group, if not all of them, should expect to be able to log in and get that much-anticipated appointment. I'm sure they will be relieved. All right, thanks for that, Richard. Visitor restrictions were relaxed at most long-term care homes in B.C. just yesterday, but families of residents at one facility are frustrated and still waiting to see their loved ones. As Nadia Stewart reports, they've been told it will be three more weeks before more than one person can visit. The new rules announced at the end of March for long-term care homes brought with them anticipation for families. After a year of being apart, visitations are now resuming. We are her family. Part of our role is to oversee, and we have not been able to do that either. But there are concerns. Not all care homes are moving quickly enough to implement the new rules. At Langley Lodge, visitation is being phased in over three weeks, starting with 10 visits a day in week one, 25 in week two, and 50 a day in week three. Three weeks until more than one person can visit a resident. For this family member who asked we conceal her identity, there's a disconnect between Langley Lodge's rules and what the province announced. So it's problematic, that arrangement, because it requires two people to synchronize their schedules. Um, if the designated visitor isn't available, um, then the introduction to that, to that other family member coming in 
is um, is halted. More than two dozen people died due to a COVID-19 outbreak inside Langley Lodge, one of the worst outbreaks in the province. We just don't feel safe doing this all at once. And Langley Care Society's CEO, Deborah Hopman, says they don't want to risk it happening again. She says the new rules caught them off guard. And since not everyone who works and lives inside the home have been vaccinated, they have to be cautious. I recall that Dr. Henry mentioned on the 25th that this is a possibility that they anticipate there might be more outbreaks in long-term care um, as a result of opening up visitation. That is simply not acceptable for us. Hopman says the province gave them no warning these new rules were coming, a change this family member says all homes should have been prepared for. Nadia Stork, Global News. The owner of an Italian restaurant in Vancouver is vowing to defy a provincial ban on indoor dining. The three-week measure was announced Monday to stop an alarming spike in COVID-19 cases. But as Paul Johnson explains, some are saying enough is enough. Pizza, pastries, gelato and coffee and beverages. Nicely turned out in a tailored suit for Good Friday. Central Casting couldn't supply a better example of a restaurateur of Italian descent than East Van's Federico Fuoco. There was a dip in the, in, in the beginning, and there was a real dip, but then people rallied behind us. They were thankful that we were still open. Fuoco's take on an Italian bistro seems to be a hit in Vancouver's Olympic Village. While Global News was there Friday, lots of neighbors popped by and were disappointed to see he was closed for the holiday. But there are some bigger issues at play as well. This latest one, they've gone too far. Monday's announcement that indoor restaurant dining is banned for the next few weeks was a turning point for Fuoco. What bothers him most is that this latest order gave his industry only hours' notice. Here's what a friend in the business told him. He ordered $3,000 of supplies on Mondays for the busy Easter week, like poultry, fish, produce, all that stuff. All gone to waste. All his reservations gone. Why? Because we were blindsided. We're seeing that lead to um, augmentation of transmission through places like uh, restaurants and bars and pubs. Fuoco feels that explanation is inadequate to justify the damage his industry will sustain. And he says he'll continue serving customers inside, following the guidelines of the previous orders that saw him go from 40 tables to 10. While a visit from city inspectors and possibly the police is likely, there are many who support him. Hundreds came out for a rally at Vancouver City Hall Friday to make a point about the toll the health orders are having on small businesses. While we've seen some of these signs and faces at the much more extreme anti-mask rallies, this demonstration appeared to be a newer version on that theme, more directly speaking to the struggles of businessmen like Fuoco, who drove here from his restaurant right after he talked to us. In Vancouver, Paul Johnson, Global News. Good news for travelers south of the border. The U.S. CDC says Americans who are fully vaccinated can travel at low risk to themselves. How that changes the current guidelines and the impact it might have here in Canada. That's next on the News Hour. A solemn procession for an officer killed on duty at the U.S. Capitol today. The violent confrontation when a man drove his vehicle into a security barricade later on the News Hour.
Plus, stuck in a tricky spot when a walk in the woods takes a wrong turn. How Shaq the dog was finally rescued. Coming up on the news hour. Right now, though, the U.S. Centers for Disease Control has made significant updates to its guidance when it comes to travel during the pandemic. As of today, fully vaccinated Americans were given the green light to resume travel, even though the agency still recommends against non-essential travel due to rising cases and variant spread. Global's Reggie Cicchini has the latest. As America's vaccine effort races forward, what's old is becoming new again. Fully vaccinated people can resume travel to low, at low risk to themselves. It's a game-changing revision that could break the distance many families have been stuck with for a year, dropping requirements for testing and quarantine on domestic travel while overseas travelers are advised to test upon return but aren't required to isolate. All travelers, regardless of vaccination status, should continue to wear masks on planes, buses, trains. The CDC considers somebody fully vaccinated two weeks after receiving the last required dose. These updates are a direct result of vaccine numbers in the U.S. 20% of the population has its full dosage. But the new guidance comes with a caveat. They basically said, yes, you can do this, but no, you really can't do this. Soaring cases and variant spread remain a concern. So out of precaution, the CDC is actually recommending to not travel. It's hard to say four days ago that we have a sense of impending doom and translate that to unrestricted or free travel guidance. For weeks, the number of travelers has been steadily increasing. Passenger volumes at airports in March were the highest since the pandemic began, despite a majority of the country still being vulnerable. Getting fully vaccinated allows you to do more things safely. That will be possible as more states expand eligibility, but verifying a clean bill of health is an issue. Vaccine cards are easily forged, and there's fierce pushback to any kind of national database. You don't want to create separate classes of citizens. The new guidance doesn't change the fact that the U.S. is still blocked from traveling to most countries. And as the pace of vaccine picks up, so too does the appetite to return to normal. Reggie Chikini, Global News, Washington. All right, Keith Baldry joins us now with more. Keith, most people are itching to get away. Mm -hmm. Uh, That, of course, is the U.S. But could the changes to the CDC guidelines in America mean maybe some good news on the horizon for us? Well, I hate to be the harbinger of bad news, Sophie, but I just got off the phone with Public Safety Minister Mike Farnworth, who's basically BC's guy in charge of the border, even though it's a federal border. Uh, He says this issue hasn't even uh, been broached in conversations between various levels of governments for months and doesn't expect it to be for months uh, either uh, until everyone basically is vaccinated. U.S. President Joe Biden has set a target of July 4th for having everyone in the states to get at least one dose. Uh, uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau hopes late summer, early fall is the target for us. So only when those huge millions of people get vaccinated can the uh, discussion about reopening the border get any closer to reality perhaps late summer or perhaps early fall but certainly in no time soon until everyone gets that needle in the arms it's too dangerous i think mm-hmm. to open that border in a two-way traffic be- between our two countries certainly when you take a look at the numbers we've had recently yeah i can mm-hmm. understand that all right thanks keith have a good weekend right. you too the surrey police service is continuing to fill up its ranks but not without controversy So it's very shocking to me that they would uh, hire a person that has uh, this kind of background. Up next, why the department's latest hire is raising some eyebrows. Plus, the murder of Wendy Ladner Beaudry, still a mystery 12 years later.
Questions are being raised about hiring practices at the new Surrey Police Service after the force announced the hiring of an inspector who just got off a 90-day impaired driving prohibition. Police say the officer, Jeff Metcalf, owned up to his actions. But as Catherine Urquhart reports, critics say the, SPC, uh, the SPS is undermining public trust. After being an RCMP officer for 24 years, Jeff Metcalf has been hired as an inspector with the Surrey Police Service. Critics are stunned, as Metcalf was recently handed a 90-day suspension for impaired driving, allegedly after totaling his car in December. It's very shocking to me that they would uh, hire a person that has uh, this kind of background, and it's very disappointing. When Global News asked about the hiring, Surrey Police emailed a statement saying, Inspector Metcalf made full disclosure of the circumstances and has taken complete responsibility for his actions. The Surrey Police is more than satisfied that Inspector Metcalf will make a strong contribution to the Surrey Police team and appreciates his candor during the interview. But questions remain about the incident and how it might impact his new job. Among those questions, does Inspector Metcalf have an ignition interlock device on his vehicle, which requires an alcohol-free breath sample to drive? We don't know whether he'll have an immobilizer on his vehicle. We, you know, all sorts of issues like that. The other big issue, of course, is that he resigned so quickly after returning to work, the RCMP never got any chance to do any counselling. We don't know whether he's been counselled. This is only three months ago. There has not been transparency, there has not been accountability, and there certainly has not been dialogue with the very public that this police service is supposed to serve. Global News requested comment from Surrey Mayor Doug McCallum, who chairs the police board. We were told he was not available. Jeff Metcalf starts his new position with Surrey Police Service in May. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. A substantial reward is being renewed ahead of the 12th anniversary of a Vancouver mother's unsolved murder. Wendy Ladner Beaudry was killed on April 3, 2009, while jogging in Pacific Spirit Park. The 53-year-old was murdered just steps from the entrance to the park on St. George's Trail. Despite thousands of tips, police have said they have no suspects and no motive in the case. Investigators have also never revealed how the mother of two was killed. Ladner Beaudry's family is extending their offer of a $30,000 reward for information leading to the arrest and charge of those responsible for her murder. One person has been injured in a dust explosion at the grain terminal at the Port of Vancouver. 26 firefighters are on scene dealing with the situation, attempting to cool the silo about eight stories above. Officials tell Global News the explosion happened around 4 p.m. when an employee with Alliance Grain Terminals opened a hatch. The employee suffered second-degree burns and was transported to hospital for treatment. Fire crews are now using water to try to prevent it from spreading. Just in time for the long weekend, New Westminster's Pier Park is reopening. Families are already checking out the new play area in the surviving section of the waterfront park at 6th Street while keeping a safe distance and following COVID-19 restrictions. Pier Park had been closed to the public since a devastating fire broke out beneath the pier and smoldered for days last September. That part is still shut down. Sean Darcy Warnick is charged with arson and mischief in connection with that fire. Up next, Officer Down at the U.S. Capitol. 
I've never in my life seen this before. The massive response when a man rams his car into a security barricade just ahead. Plus, on World Autism Day, how the pandemic impacts those on the spectrum and their caregivers. Believe BC, featured on Global News Hour at 6, celebrates the innovative minds working together to reignite business throughout our province. Believe BC, brought to you in part by the BCTF, our kids and their teachers, worth investing in. Almost three months to the day after an attack on the U.S. Capitol, police are mourning another loss. A man hit and killed an officer and injured a second after crashing a car into a security barrier at the complex. The 25-year-old suspect shot dead and with no known prior interactions with police, investigators are now trying to determine a motive for the attack. You can see the aftermath of the deadly attack just steps from the Capitol, where a suspect rammed that blue car into a barricade about 100 yards from the Senate entrance. I've never in my life seen this before. A helicopter arriving as part of a massive response. Oh my God. The National Guard in formation after police say a suspect, identified by four senior law enforcement officials as 25-year-old Noah Green, drove into two Capitol Police officers and into that roadblock around one this afternoon. The head of Capitol Police says he jumped out of the car holding a knife, ignored commands to stop, and instead started to run aggressively towards the officers. They opened fire, killing the suspect, but not before those two officers on scene were hurt and taken to the hospital. With acting chief Yogananda Pittman soon after, visibly emotional as she revealed this devastating news. It is with a very, very heavy heart that I announce one of our officers has succumbed to his injuries. Officer William Billy Evans, an 18-year veteran of the Capitol Police Department, killed. A line of squad cars, lights and sirens on, carrying his body to the medical examiner's office in a processional through downtown Washington. It's an almost unthinkable blow for a police force still reeling from what happened January 6 and the deaths of two of their own. Today, unlike then, lawmakers are out of town, back home for the Easter holiday. But on a typical day, senators and staff would have used this intersection to get to the Capitol from their office buildings across the street. That's where our own Leanne Caldwell was in lockdown today. I saw the law enforcement. I just thought to myself, what could be happening again? Extra fencing put up after January's insurrection came down only recently, giving more access to the center of our democracy and in the heart of Washington, heartbreak tonight. Well, today is World Autism Awareness Day, and while there are challenges for people on the autism spectrum and their caregivers, the pandemic has unfortunately exacerbated many of those difficulties, especially when it comes to the development of social skills. Global's Mike Arsenault has more. It's very difficult, <laughs> very difficult. My home workstation is right beside my son's workstation, which is also his PlayStation. Parents of kids with autism are juggling a lot during the pandemic. Pedro is working from home and trying to shepherd his son through the mix of online and in-class learning. I have to stay on him all the time. Focus, let's get back to class. Focus, let's get back to class. I, I, that's my day is spent repeating that mantra. Pedro says the lockdowns and lack of interaction have adversely impacted his nine-year-old son's social development. Before the pandemic, he was uh, getting therapy for social skills for interaction with his peers. And he was showing progress with regards to that. Some of the skills and tools that he had learned were unlearned. 
the older he gets, things become more of a challenge. How can parents help facilitate their kids' social skills in this era of physical distancing and isolation? There are a lot of online social groups and peer groups that have developed over the years that we've connected with and we're able to provide these resources to families. Obviously, it's not enough. A lot of these individuals, um, especially kids and teens, they need that social and that face-to-face interaction. It's a matter of trying to be resourceful. Ontario couple Bill and Kristen Hallman have gotten creative when it comes to working with their son Jack on his social skills. I run my own business here in Cornwall called the Happy Popcorn Company. We make gourmet popcorn. He also helps me around the shop. He packs orders up. He scoops popcorn for me and, and, and things like that. When we have been open to the public, we try to get him over to the cash. One, it helps him learn about money, but also he's interacting with the customers. And uh, we are so blessed that our customers, uh, they understand why we started that store to give Jack um, a place to grow up in and know how what work is about. Autism Canada also has advice for caregivers navigating this difficult time. Self-care. It's so important for the caregiver to take time for themselves in order to be able to be a better parent or better caregiver for the child. I can't stress it enough. Take time, take 10, 15, 20 minutes a day for yourself in order to recharge and be able to focus on caring for your loved one. Mike Arsenault, Global News. Digging up the dirt on a Vancouver Park's almost forgotten past. It was like a, a, a soccer temple. Callister Park's colorful history coming up. Plus, a spectacular celebration for a milestone birthday. Why this fly past had special meaning. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Well, how's this for a birthday greeting? Wallace Simpson turned 100 today, and to commemorate the occasion, a Hercules C-130 did this special fly past in Edmonton. Simpson is a Second World War veteran. He flew bombers during the war and Hercules transports afterward. He says seeing those planes again lifted his spirits. I think I should do it again another 10 years. Another 10 years. That would be grand. I... Uh... I never thought the thing was possible, actually. I didn't know that such a thing could happen. And in an interesting twist, the transport planes were actually on their way to Comox, but they altered their flight path just for Simpson. The father of four says the secret to his long life is clean air, healthy living, and having a special interest or hobby. Well done and happy birthday. Clean air and healthy living, Christy. Mm-hmm. And a hobby. I like that idea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We've got a nice long weekend to find a hobby for yourself. Just like this guy. Maybe relaxing he, is your hobby. He looks like he's lounging. <laughs> he is. He's totally Just ready for Sunning himself. <laughs> uh, so Diana sent me this. She was hiking in the Cathedral Lakes area, which is just outside of Karameas. And uh, she captured this guy, gal, I'm not sure, uh, relaxing. And I thought I would start that off as we head into a long weekend. Not a bad start to the long weekend. We uh, This was the morning 
including Quadra Island. Brad sending us that one. And this one from Predator Ridge from last night. We have some stunning photos. Thank you to everyone who shares them with us. Kelowna saw some cloud cover today, but overall it was bright and it was definitely mild. 17, 18 degrees, well above seasonal for this time of year. Now we saw a few showers here in our region and we've got more rain on the way for us tomorrow. Now it's not going to be a soaker. We're talking about 5 to 10 millimeters max for our region, but for the lower mainland, potentially into Victoria, although there's a chance it could miss you in Victoria, but hit areas like Nanaimo, it's more towards the afternoon hour. So Saturday, a little bit wet, but we'll come out of it on Sunday. Here's a quick look at how much rainfall, bulk of it up towards the House Sound, sort of Sea to Sky Highway area, and then out through the Fraser Valley as well. So there's your forecast, everyone. So these areas here, flurries in the morning, changing over to showers. We have a risk of thunderstorms through the Caribou region, along with your showers in the afternoon, mostly dry through the Okanagan Valley. And for our region, we will see periods of rain with a high of about 10 degrees. But this is the good news. As we hit Easter Sunday, it all clears out. So if we were expecting a mix of sun and cloud, not much warmer. You can see our average high for this time of year is 12 degrees. So we're going to be below seasonal in terms of temperature, but the sun comes out. So uh, if you have some outdoor Easter egg hunts planned, you've got a good uh, day for that. And certainly on Monday as well. And then, of course, the kids head back to school on Tuesday and we've got more sunshine. Here's your central windows weather window from Roberts Creek this morning. Either Jean or Jean sending us that one. Thank you so much. Beautiful shot. So peaceful. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you, Christy. Well, today it is a quiet, unassuming little park near the PNE. But just a few decades ago, Callister Park was a lot more raucous. Squire Barnes has more on the heyday of what used to be East Van's Soccer Temple. For 50 years, Callister Park, across from the Pacific Coliseum, has been just that, a park. But for a long time, the entire site of Callister Park, the park, was actually Callister Park, the stadium. And its main purpose was soccer. It, it was the best level of soccer that, uh, that, that you would have had at that time. Bob and all his brothers grew up just one block from Callister Park, and his older sibling Sam played there on a field that was essentially dirt. It, it, there was a bit of grass in the corners. Uh, they tell me at one time they used to be all grass because they used to play international games here, uh, but no, it was, it was dirt. I do remember the, the Vaseline that was on both bum cheeks because... It was, it was pretty unforgiving if it was dry and you slid, half your skin would be on the ground still. <laughs> the reason Callister Park had no grass was because other sports used the park as well, such as rodeo. And then in the late 60s, demolition derbies became a fixture there. Hey, it was packed. There was, there was standing room only every night. The popularity of seeing cars crash into each other not only brought out fans, but plenty of contestants who wanted to do it as well. Because cars were plentiful. You could walk down any alleyway and pick up a car, no problems whatsoever. Really? Yeah, people were just glad to get rid of them. And for a lot of the years, this Circus Maximus of East Vancouver was under the direction of caretaker Eddie Lay, who actually lived at the stadium. Well, we did leave, live in a suite under the grandstands in Callister Park. And... Uh, not very often, but I would help my dad clean up after uh, some of the games. And uh, uh, he, he worked hard at that park. It was a lot of walking. Uh, it was a square block, of course, and the stands covered three-quarters of that. 
streets. It was just such a uh, just a majestic majestic place to be. Once if you were to when you see the photos and see the visuals, you wouldn't call it a majestic place. But for me, it was like a, a, a soccer temple. Who knew? Well, besides Squire, I guess. Squire yeah. knows everything. And the Leonard Doozies. Yeah. There's a lot of great stadiums that are no longer around uh, Greater Vancouver these days. Really? Well. Empire Stadium. Well, that's true. Yeah. That's true. We should do a tour. All right. We uh, had you off the top of the show, Barry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, at least the Canucks do lead the league in something now. Unfortunately, <laughs> it's uh, lit players on the COVID list. Yesterday it was two. Now it's up to eight for the Canucks. The five on five turnover. Quinn Hughes was one of those who tested positive. We'll tell you who else is on that list coming up. And later, Shaq is back. The swift water rescue to retrieve a stranded dog. A lot going on here. Jade Durant is standing by to <laughs> tell us what's coming up at 11. There's a lot of co- conversation going on here. Trying to figure out what's going on with the Canucks, Barry, and uh, we haven't really... Francesco tweeted out. I, I call him Francesco. Mm-hmm. He's your buddy. <laughs> yeah, sure. Thoughts and prayers, right? Yeah, well, yeah, there's a lot of questions right now. That's, you know, one of the reasons why the NHL and the Canucks aren't really saying a lot, because there's just a lot of moving parts, and once they know a little bit more... I'll tell you, the busiest guy is going to be the NHL schedule maker. He's got a lot of adjustments to make coming up. All right, thanks, Sophie. It is a uh, full-blown COVID outbreak for the Canucks. Today, it was revealed five more players tested positive for COVID-19 yesterday, bringing uh, the total to seven players and one coach. And the players and staff were tested again today, so they are bracing for possibly even more positives. We knew Adam Gaudette and Travis Hamannick tested positive, and now... They've got company. Some key players on the list. Defenseman Quinn Hughes, who's the youngest at 21. Alex Edler is the oldest at 34. Goaltender Braden Holtby. And also a couple of the supporting cast up front, Zach McEwen and Antoine Roussel. The coaching staff members not been identified. Also a player on the taxi squad is positive. He too not identified. So what does this all mean? Neither the Canucks or NHL have commented on these uh, latest uh, positive tests. There's been a few similar cases where teams have had to shut down operations for basically two weeks. The Dallas Stars had 17 players who tested positive in training camp back in January. So they shut down camp for a week, also postponed their first week of games. And New Jersey and Buffalo both had multiple positive tests and they shut down for two weeks at the beginning of February. So judging by that standard, the Canucks would likely extend their shutdown from one week to two weeks, meaning they would have to reschedule eight games over the final four weeks weeks of the season. But uh, first things first, we all hope that everyone on the team with COVID recovers and has no lasting effects, but everyone reacts differently. Players are self-isolating and pretty much are doing Peloton workouts because they may not be able to even practice for two more weeks. The Canucks say they'll likely announce uh, something next week once they know more details. All right, some teams are still playing. NHL tonight, Oilers and Flames. Canucks were to visit Edmonton tomorrow night. Of course, that game postponed. Flames have got the only goal of this one so far. Michael Stone with the big slapper. 
blows it past Mike Smith, one nothing Calgary in the first period in Edmonton. And we'll show you Zach Hyman and the Leafs in Winnipeg taking on the Jets, two teams that will likely make the playoffs. Travis Dermott will score on a screenshot past Connor Hellebuck, one nothing Toronto. But the Jets are going to get it back on a 2-1-1. Adam Lowry with the nice feed here to Andrew Kopp, who will beat Jack Campbell. So it's a tight game in Winnipeg, 1-1 after 2. We'll stay on the ice. Men's World Curling Championship from Calgary, Canada, represented by Edmonton's Brendan Botcher, taking on Scotland in their opener. 7th end, 5-4 Scots. Botcher with a fantastic shot here. Sneaks by the guard, taps out that red Scottish stone to lie 3. Canada would end up stealing 2 in the end to take a 6-5 lead. And then in the ninth, tied at 6 Canada with hammer, Botcher with the perfect control weight. He's quite the shot maker. Draws in for two more. Canada off to a winning start at the Men's Curling Worlds, downing Scotland 9-6, and they're on the ice right now versus Japan. Major League Baseball has decided to pull this year's All-Star game out of Atlanta and move it because of what it says are Georgia's new restrictive voting laws that many people feel target people of color and makes it more difficult for them to cast a vote. Commissioner Rob Manfred said he made the decision after discussions with the MLB Players Association and with the Players Alliance, which is a group made up of black baseball players to tackle racial injustices. No new city has been named yet to host the All-Star Game. Raptors and Golden State Warriors. Toronto's dropped 13 of 14 since they had COVID hit the team, which has turned into a huge deal for them. Gary Trent Jr., it's been quite good since acquired from Portland for Norm Powell. Had a career-high 31 the other night. Hits the three there. Pascal Siakam hits the jumper at the halftime buzzer. It's good. Toronto led by 20 at the break, and then they really hit the gas in the third quarter as they explode for a team record 46 points. Gary Trent Jr. with another three to make it 84-47. They just couldn't miss. OG Ananobi with three. Toronto led by as many as 55. Hey, save some for the next game. 130-77 in that margin of victory, the biggest ever in Raptor history. And we'll finish with some golf. Second round of the uh, Valero Texas Open. Canadian Corey Connors won this tournament in 2019, his only win. Now, since they didn't play it last year because of COVID, he's the defending champ. He will be around for the weekend. Nice approach at 15, led to birdie. He's at plus one. Abbotsford boys, Adam Hadwin and Nick Taylor, both made the cut at one under. Roger Sloan of Merritt just missed by a shot. Jordan Spieth's had a resurgence of late. Three top fives and a top ten in the last six weeks. In contention again. That shot led to a birdie. He's at seven under, tied second. Two shots behind leader Cameron Tringali. And tennis fans, we haven't forgot about Bianca Andreescu, who plays in the Miami Open final tomorrow and we'll have highlights of that on the weekend news hour all right thanks very much barry now let's check in with jay Durant for a look ahead to global news at 11 jay thank you so cold on the north shore at this hour crews up some kind of cardiac incident on a solo hike near norvan falls this video just coming into the newsroom a few minutes ago Plus, Public Safety Minister Mike Farnworth is speaking out tonight after hearing several Metro Vancouver churches will defy public health orders by holding indoor services this week. And the story's coming up tonight at 11, Sophie. Sounds good. Thanks very much, Jay. Up next, a walk in the woods takes a wrong turn for a dog and his humans. The rescue caught on camera next. 
A close call that could have gone sideways on the Seymour River today ended up being a slam dunk for a dog named Shaq. Aaron MacArthur explains how the adventurous canine ended up getting stuck and why firefighters say his humans did everything right. Some tense moments for a family in North Vancouver. Their dog, Shaq, stuck at the top of some rapids on the Seymour River. What happened? He ended up chasing a duck about a half a kilometer back that way and followed it all the way down and got stuck on the other side. Uh, a dog. Instead of going in after the dog, the family called 911. The District of North Vancouver Fire Department dispatched the Swiftwater Rescue Team. Despite the scramble down to the water's edge, it was an easy swim for the members. Convincing Shaq to get into the water for the swim back across took some effort. Assistant Chief David Dales says this family did everything right. We usually train for rescuing humans, but in this instant, uh, we needed to get the dog so no humans would attempt a rescue. You don't want people to attempt a rescue? No, do not enter the water. The dog's fine on the other side. He was secured. Activate 911. Once back out onto the fisherman's trail, the family continued on with their hike. A little worse for wear. He's a little beat up if you look at his chest. Thank you, guys. Aaron MacArthur. Global News. Oh, Shaq. Doesn't look any the worse for wear. He learned his lesson. He'll never do it again <laughs> until the next duck flies Until the next, exactly. Yeah, exactly. All right, uh, long weekend ahead. Yep. How's it looking, Christy? So somewhat weather tomorrow and certainly slightly cooler conditions with a high of only 10 degrees. But it looks like we've salvaged two days out of the long weekend. If you have Monday off, that is certainly the kids do, which will be nice. And then there's more sunshine when they head back to school. Enjoy your chocolates on Sunday, everyone. Happy Have a good Easter. one. Happy Easter.